You are listening to a Crosspoint Peachtree City podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.crosspointptc.com. guys this morning. Thanks for bringing the church into this building. If we haven't met yet, my name's Jamie, one of the pastor elders of our church. Uh, excited to open up the scriptures with you all this morning. If you're new, if it's your first Sunday and you're, you're wondering how the kids ministry works around here, every time we have a fifth Sunday, that's a family style Sunday for us. We gather the kids in here with the adults. And, uh, and so you have found us in one of those moments, which means that next Sunday, the kids ministry will be up and running again. And uh, your kids are uh, surely welcome to go explore that wing and see what that's all about uh, in different ways. We're doing the same thing in both of these spaces, which is sitting with God's word and uh, finding the hope of Christ in the gospel. So that's what we're going to do uh, this morning in a together way, both adults and kids, as we prepare to close out this first month of the new calendar year. Having committed the month of January to camping out on a number of core convictions and values that we hold as a church with the hope and aim that, that we would be resolute in our commitment to these values, to these core convictions. Uh, this is one of those sermon series, as I've mentioned before, you, you can kind of grab it and piecemeal it as any one of these sermons, these times in the scriptures stands alone, and yet it builds. And so if you've missed any weeks in this series, uh, I'll do my best to try to, to build on things even this morning, but I would encourage you to go back and see how all these pieces sort of build up to this crescendo this morning as we close out this series. That language of resoluteness in the scriptures, why would we even go there? Uh, there's an example, uh, one of many, in the words of the Apostle Paul, I've offered several times throughout the course of the month of January. Paul's life, Paul's writings, he says things like this, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and here it is, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That as I've said for weeks now, if the Apostle Paul was anything, he was resolute, he was determined and unwavering. But with that, going back to last week, Paul also seemed to understand that God-glorifying change oftentimes comes progressively over the course of, of time. The, the slow grind of progressive sanctification. As we behold the glory of the Lord, 2 Corinthians 3, 18, and are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. In the words of Eugene Peterson, he wrote a book entitled this, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That that's what we're after as a, a church not after the short game, we're after a commitment to the, the rugged journey of discipleship over the course of time. All of us at different points on that journey coming into this room this morning. For some, perhaps hearing these very things for the first time, the, the things that we've been discussing over the course of this series. For others of us, perhaps simply a reminder of the direction in which our long obedience is headed. Recognizing that we all have a propensity to wander, myself included, that it never hurts to be reminded on the journey from time to time. Reminded of what it means to, to live for God's glory as a people fueled by God's grace. And so we began with a reminder on New Year's Day 
that we must immerse ourselves in the scriptures if we have any hope of fighting the good fight of faith. A people committed to continuing in the sacred writings. Going back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. The following week reminding us that we too must be a people who call the truth therein within the sacred writings to mind. When our hearts are most in danger of drifting, drifting from what we profess to believe. Whether in the everyday difficulties of, of life or, or when our dark nights of the soul are the darkest. Week three of this series reminding us that it's, it's incredibly possible to be well-versed in the scriptures, absent of delight in the Lord, that it's possible to, to grow in competency of how to call the truths and promises within the scriptures to mind, absent of delight in the Lord. For these things to become a rote exercise, spiritual disciplines motivated by duty without place for delight. And with that, an exhortation to keep fighting for happiness in God, to keep tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, delighting in him, simply for who he is on the one hand and the salvation that's ours in Jesus, and two, delighting in him by enjoying the, the many everyday expressions of his kindness and grace to us. Last week, reminding us that, that God means to, for us to embrace all these things and more, not just individually, but communally, in a together way, in a spirit of God-glorifying unity and love as God's redeemed, bound together under the one and same blood of Jesus Christ, a priesthood of believers living in the gladness of covenant community and unity. And yet, God never intended that the church turn inward on herself, calling his redeemed to be faithful to the task of evangelizing a lost and dying world. And so we're, we're gonna close out this series looking at the core conviction or value of evangelism. And so with that, I invite you to open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter two. We'll be in verses 12 through 16 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath one of the chairs in the row in front of you. Feel free to grab one of those Bibles and use it during our time in the scriptures this morning. Take that as the church's gift to you if you don't own a Bible. We would be excited for you to take one of our Bibles and be exploring it on your own time outside of this space. Let me go ahead and pray for us this morning and see what the Lord might do as a result of our time in his word. Heavenly Father, Thank you that there are those who have gone before us who embrace the core conviction and value of a life of faithfulness and evangelism without which we would not stand among your redeemed today. God, I pray that that would not be lost on us as we sit with the scriptures in front of us, that we would ask ourselves that we would Ask, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal to us, if you haven't already, who you have in our lives, what you're calling us to as it pertains to evangelizing the lost. That you would help us to understand what it is like Jesus to be a friend of sinners. That we would sit with our contact list in front of us this morning and ask the question, do I know people who don't know Jesus? And if we do, that we would wrestle with what it means to walk in wisdom as a people declaring the beauty of the gospel with our lips and our lives. Who is sufficient for these things? But you give us grace. You give us what we need, Lord. And so I, I pray that you would convict us, 
that you would melt us, that you would exhort us, that you would comfort us, whatever you have for us as a result of our time in your word this morning, by the power of your spirit, would you do that? Would you give me a feeling sense of the things I preach, Lord? Ask all this in the precious name of Jesus, who is the substance of our evangelism. Amen. So last week, we spent our time in Psalm 133 with its beautiful and and winsome language and imagery describing what unity in the Lord is like, where we saw two word pictures. It's like the the morning dew that falls on the ground with its expectant newness on the one hand, the awakening and renewal of the morning, like God's mercies. Two, like the anointing oil of the priesthood with its cinnamon and sweet cane, the fragrant aroma of God's people living in the gladness of God-glorifying covenant unity. So that I can think of no better way to close out this series than with the fragrant language and imagery of the Apostle Paul in writing to the church in Corinth. If you pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and, and I went on to Macedonia. Right, if I can just very briefly give some context here. Paul pens these words in the the wake of a painful visit to Corinth during which many openly rebelled against him in calling his apostleship into question and the very message of the gospel that he was bringing to the table, which prompted Paul, then having left for Ephesus, to send a letter by way of Titus to Corinth, calling those in danger of rejecting Paul and his gospel to repent. Helps to explain Paul's spirit of unrest and coming to Troas only to find that, that Titus wasn't there. Right? He was hoping to hear how the church in Corinth had received his letter, concerned for the well-being of both Titus and the Corinthian church. So troubled Paul was that he decided not to stay in Troas, but to continue on to Macedonia, most scholars believing that he went there with the hope that he might run into Titus somewhere along the journey. Paul goes on, though, in the midst of his unrest to declare these powerful words in verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him that is Christ everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. That language of triumphal procession, it's perhaps not what many of us think it is upon first glance. It's military language, a reference to the celebratory parades in Rome upon obtaining victory in battle, where prisoners of war were marched through the streets as fragrant perfumes filled the air, the scent of victory, with many prisoners executed at the end of those very parades so that the stench of death too filled the air. Both of those, fragrant perfumes and the stench of death, declaring to Rome be the victor and the glory. In one sense, Paul uses, and consider this, that kind of imagery to describe Christ's victory over you and me. His once rebellious enemies conquered by God's triumphant love for us in Jesus. Brought into his triumphal procession. 
marched to our death, you could say, brought to the end of ourselves in the best way imaginable, that, that we might be raised to walk in newness of life as new creations. As Paul says elsewhere, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. On the other side of that death, a resurrection, as he goes on to say in this very same letter to the church in Corinth, I just alluded to it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. A new name as orphans brought off the street, made children of the living God. A new standing, a new citizenship, given a home and a country a new destiny, a new eternity. And with these things, a new purpose in life brought into the king's service. As we say all the time, you cannot divorce Christ as savior from Christ as king. He doesn't just save us from our sins, but he brings us under his lordship. We've been brought into the king's service. Heralds now declaring with our lips and our lives, not to Rome the victor be the glory, but to Jesus the victor be the glory. Is the imagery that Paul uses here is too evangelistic. The spread, verse 14, of the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ through his people, which pleases the Lord, are spreading the fragrance of Christ. As Paul declares, notice the language in verse 15, that we are the aroma of Christ first to God. In one sense, and this is so encouraging, in one sense, the sweet-smelling incense of Christ's perfect righteousness and acceptable sacrifice on our behalf so that when God breathes us in, to use that imagery, he breathes us in as though he were breathing in his beloved son. Some of us, that's what we need to hear this morning as a catalyst for our evangelism. That if you're a Christian, when God breathes you in, he breathes you in as though he were breathing in his beloved son. In another sense, the fragrant offering of a life laid down, a life lived in loving sacrifice for the sake of the spread of the gospel as his redeemed. That when God breathes that in, it's pleasing to him as well. Again, lips declaring and lives displaying the beauty of the Lord Jesus, spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. The fragrance of a crucified and risen Savior. The fragrance of grace and truth. The fragrance of God's power made perfect in weakness. The fragrance of God's sufficient grace in suffering. A fragrance from Death to death for some, as Paul says elsewhere, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, which is tragic and heartbreaking. A fragrance from life to life for others, the sweet aroma of Christ to those who believe and join this triumphal procession, which is joyous and heartwarming. At this point, we should be saying with the Apostle Paul, verse 16, who is sufficient for these things? There's a lot at stake here. The weight of eternity at stake. As C.S. Lewis once said, you've never met a mere mortal. You've either met an everlasting splendor or an everlasting horror. We're all destined for something. We're all on a trajectory. 
Who is sufficient for these things? Knowing that the aroma of our lives in Christ will lead some to eternal life and others to eternal death. And the answer to Paul's question in one sense is none of us. None of us is sufficient for these things. Not in our own strength. Not even the Apostle Paul himself. That's why Paul goes on to say in the very next chapter, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. In one sense, Paul's words reminding us of the importance of prayer as a people dependent upon the Lord to give us what we need. And that goes for everything we've talked about throughout the course of of this January sermon series. I mentioned in week one, we won't have a, a week that's solely devoted to prayer because it permeates everything we're talking about this month. Going back to the first week, continuing in the sacred writings of Scripture, which are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ, prayerfully. Calling to, uh, to mind the truths and promises found within the, the sacred writings of Scripture in those moments when we most desperately need to, to be reminded of those truths that we might rest in them, prayerfully. Delighting in the Lord, both for who he is and the many expressions of his kindness and grace. Prayerfully. Dwelling in unity as a priesthood of believers bound together under the one and same blood of Jesus. Prayerfully. And faithful in evangelism, laying down our lives in loving sacrifice for the spread of the gospel. Prayerfully. Uh, One pastor not too long ago, several years back, wrote uh, or or declared, you do not know what prayer is for until you know that life is war. And if you've been around for this January series, on any given one of these weeks, you see that this is a war. To fight, to to continue to abide in God's word, to, to fight, to call those truths and promises to mind in the moment when the darkness is real, when the sorrow is real. To fight for unity How is that even possible apart from prayer? That's a war. And all these things, the people on our knees in prayer, in humble dependence upon the Lord to give us what we need. And with that, staying in our lane, particularly and specifically as it pertains to evangelism. You may have noticed, it was only up on the screen for a couple minutes there, but the title of this sermon wasn't fruitful in evangelism. How anyone responds to the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ is in none of our hands. Our part is to be faithful in evangelism and spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere we go, blooming where we're planted and planting where there is no bloom. On the one hand, blooming where we're planted, spreading the fragrance of Christ where we currently live, work, and and play. Those everyday missional pathways that are right in front of us, staring us in the face among our friends and our family members and our neighbors and our classmates and our coworkers who don't know Jesus. On the other hand, planting where there is no bloom. Going and making disciples where there's little to no gospel presence. Planting churches. Reaching the unreached. Our gospel, verse 14, it's an everywhere gospel. 
It's a gospel for the neighborhood and a gospel for the nations. If I could close out this series with a, with a word of encouragement as it pertains to the task before us to be faithful in evangelism. Everything that we've been talking about, and this is why I would commend to you if you weren't around for any uh, part of this series, that you go back and engage and listen. Because everything that we've been talking about throughout the entirety of this series has to do with the spreading of the fragrance of Christ to a lost and dying world. Meaning that we're all being equipped for the work of evangelism simply by growing in the very values and core convictions with which we've spent time with this month. Committing ourselves as a church to these things in our forward march. We're being trained in all of these things. Going back to to week one. Continuing in the sacred writings equips us for evangelism in that the sacred writings contain the very message of our evangelism. There are things that we can know about God simply by looking out at the cosmos, the ocean, the mountains. You can't know that Christ died for sinners other than running to the scriptures. The sacred writings, they contain the very message of our evangelism. The one and only hope of redemption for a world of lost sinners in Jesus Christ. Two, in that the scriptures, going back to week one, are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, bringing our lives into greater Christ-exalting conformity with our Christ-exalting message. Going back to week two, this is probably the hardest one for us to get our minds around in terms of how it equips us for evangelism. This idea of calling the truths and promises of God's word to mind. But it does in that it prepares us to meet unbelievers in the midst of their own difficulties and sorrows. It prepares us to meet them in their own dark nights of the soul with the hope of the many promises of God that find their yes in Jesus. When we have our gospeling and prayer gatherings as community groups, and if you're not in a community group, what that simply means Gospel means good news. We good news each other, and then we pray for each other. And what we're doing in that space is we're wrestling with the implications of how our Christian worldview uniquely has hope to offer in the midst of the real difficulties, circumstances, and sorrows of life. How is that evangelistic? It's evangelistic because there's a second question. Not just if you were to die tonight, where would you go? But if you were to wake up tomorrow and be alive and face the sorrows and difficulties and sufferings of this world, how are you going to handle that? So when we sit in community groups and we wrestle with the difficulties of the upcoming holidays in November as a small group, all those relational challenges with family, the highs and the lows, and we step into the workplace, a coworker, a couple of rooms down, or a neighbor as we're checking the mail, how are you doing? Well, you know, getting ready for the holidays, going to be crazy. Why is it going to be crazy? Well, you know, the highs and lows of relationships with your flesh and blood family members. Window for evangelism. Right? That's what we're doing. We're equipping, yes, for each other. We're encouraging each other in those moments. But we're also preparing for something outward that calls people and invites them into the hope of Jesus that is both eternal and it's right now. Going back to week three. There's something evangelistic about fighting for happiness in God and delighting in the Lord both for who he is and the many expressions of his kindness and grace. After all, the world is filled with Ecclesiastes-like stories, is it not? Of those who have spent their resources in the failing pursuit of happiness, 
who have drunk, drunk from broken cisterns, empty wells, a world filled with people who need a glimpse of what it is to drink from the fount of everlasting joy, to delight in God the Son and the many expressions of his kindness and grace, the beams that trace their way to the Son who is God, to show people that you can know a happiness even in the midst of the darkness. Going back to last week, there's something evangelistic about God's people dwelling in unity, the fragrant aroma of cinnamon and sweet cane that the church is when she gets along. This Jesus himself declared, John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you're my disciples. It's evangelistic. How so? If you have love for one another, Jesus says, that everything we've been talking about throughout the course of this entire series has to do with the spreading of the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ to a lost and dying world. So that in one sense, not to oversimplify it, but if we embrace these values and core convictions that we've been talking about for the last several weeks, we need only befriend sinners. Like the friend of sinners whom we follow. And so I would ask, what does that look like in your life, for your family? What does it look like to, to bloom where you're planted, on the one hand? What does it look like to, to sit with and wrestle with the question, Lord, where are you inviting me into space relationally with people around me, be it a neighbor, a family member, a friend, a classmate, a coworker, the, the same barista who's there every time I go to the same coffee shop? The same server who's there every time I go to the same restaurant. Where are my opportunities, Lord? And would you open doors for conversations that could alter and impact a person's eternity and their tomorrow? Secondly, Lord, might you be calling me to a place where there is no bloom, where there's little bloom? There's a both and there. Let's bloom where we're planted and let's plant where there is no bloom. Let's process, let's ask these questions knowing that God has called us to be faithful evangelists and see what the Lord might do as we, we trust the melting of hearts to the God of salvation. Again, just staying in our lane, faithful. It's what we're called to. None of us struggle with that when it comes to the preaching of a sermon. I've never had a person once get on to me for not saving souls. It's never happened. The expectation is be faithful to preach God's word. Be faithful to proclaim the gospel. And the same is true of evangelism. Let's be faithful to point people to Jesus who desperately need the, the hope of the good news that is ours in Christ. Knowing that we're not sufficient to use Paul's language in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. He promises to be with us. In a moment, we're going to continue to sing to this God. And I guess a couple things that I would mention here as we prepare to, to lift our collective song. One, that, that you would sit for just a moment in the, the space of the instrumentation without lyrics yet. And that you would just soak in the truth that you are the aroma of Christ to God in the sense that when God breathes you in, 
He breathes you in as though he were breathing in his beloved son. Christ's perfect righteousness imputed to you. Your sins put upon Jesus, his sacrifice acceptable in God's sight. That must be the foundation from which our evangelism flows. So I would implore you just to sit with that. To reset this morning. I'm a child of God. The Father loves me. When he breathes me in, he breathes in Christ. And then two, to recognize that even in the song of the church, perhaps there are those in our midst who have not received Jesus. As we sing, we're singing as evangelists in this very room in that sense. Two, we'll receive the Lord's Supper together, if you're not a Christian, I would encourage you not to take of the bread and the cup, but that your next step would be one of repentance and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, that that you would be compelled by this gospel message to turn to Christ, to come to the end of yourself. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Yet I made a new creation. That You'd be drawn to the foot of the cross this morning. And for those who are in Christ, many of you know this, we take the bread representing the broken body of Jesus. We dip it in the cup representing his shed blood. There are communion stations on either side of the table. There's a gluten-free table in the back. Again, as you prepare to receive the bread and the cup, I would just, I would implore you, exhort you to pause for a moment and to think back as you prepare to receive those elements and acknowledge that you would not be receiving those elements had someone else somewhere along the way not heard a sermon like this or sat with someone over a cup of coffee and been trained up in evangelism to then share the gospel with you. And so we pay it forward. As you take the bread and the cup, the sweetness of that moment, dream of who the Lord already has in your life or maybe calling you to who may five years down the road partake of the bread and the cup for the first time. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources, and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S. P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C dot com.